Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favorite sound, I think. Sounds. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little boop. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to Sound, sound Matters. <laughs> You're listening to Sound Matters, a podcast about sound and things that matter, brought to you by Bang and Olufsen. My name is Tim Hinman. This time, true crime. Finally, Sound Matters can jump on the true crime podcast wave. And if you pay close attention, there is a crime in this episode which you can try to solve for yourself. Well, that crime is not exactly a true crime. It's more of a test, really, a form of initiation into a field called forensic audio analysis. In this show, my guest is Rob Maher. Uh, so, uh, I'm Rob Maher. I'm a, a professor of electrical and computer engineering at Montana State University. And uh, among the areas of my research interest is audio forensic analysis. His job is to, well, Rob can explain that best. Yeah, so audio forensics uh, is the scientific way of analyzing audio recordings that may be needed in a courtroom or in some kind of official inquiry. So it's, it's trying to get objective scientific information based on those audio recordings. If you're ready for it, let's start with that fake crime scene to analyze. It's a little far-fetched, I admit, but bear with me. There's a reason for the madness. Here's the crime. Coco, the clown, is on trial for murder. He's accused of shooting Bobo the clown but claims that he is innocent. There are no witnesses, only a single sound recording made by a lucky podcast maker who just happened to be in the area with an audio recorder at the time of the crime. The situation, the context of the crime is as follows. Bobo was arriving home in his funny clown car and waiting for him is Coco. Coco claims that he was waiting outside Bobo's house and that he pulled out his funny clown gun, you know, the type that just has a flag on it that says bang when you pull the trigger, as a way of breaking the ice, clown to clown, while funny clown tears squirted from his face, a classic clown move. However, Bobo was shocked at seeing Coco waiting outside his home, and he became enraged and aggressive. Bobo pulled out a real 44 Magnum pistol and fired a shot. Bobo missed, hitting instead Coco's balloon dog, and Coco, now fearing for his life and safety, pulled out a concealed carry 22 caliber pistol, fired back, and hit Bobo right between the eyes. This evidence will either free Coco or send him to the electric chair. Self defense, claim his legal team. Bobo was killed because he was the aggressor. Or is Coco the Clown lying? Remember, there are no witnesses, just the audio. Listen again. It's not as easy as you might think, eh? I'll have to leave this case unsolved for a short while because now I need to apologize profoundly to my guest, Professor Rob Maher. When it comes to real audio forensic analysis, 
the kind of jobs Rob Maher gets asked to do can often involve real life and death situations and some very disturbing recordings which may need a combination of a high level of analytical skill and a very cool head. Some of these recordings, uh, you know, are of extremely stressful and, and disturbing circumstances. And so part of the work in the field is to separate out that emotional, natural reaction to, to what's going on and understand that the examiner's real role here is as a, as a scientific expert to help the court understand the circumstances and, and the background of, of the incident. As a result of the spread of all kinds of new technology which have microphones attached to them, there's more and more of this kind of evidence cropping up in cases, able to prove or disprove points of evidence and testimony in ways that the police or the courts alone are not able to do without expert help. A methodical and scientific way to deal with recorded audio evidence. Where do we begin? So the first thing would be is to make sure that whatever the audio evidence is, is the best available. So it's a digital copy from the original or something like that. So you're working from the actual original authentic data. Then the usual set of steps are to do critical listening, which is to listen to the entire recording, listen for any telltale uh, clicks or pops or, or suspicious sounds that are, are unexpected. Then uh, look at the, the actual waveform of the recording using a waveform display program that will show the audio samples, the actual details of the signal. We also look at what's called a spectrogram of the recording. I think it's highly likely that you have seen a few movies and TV shows in which a smart cop has a geek assistant who can make some technical tweaks and then just zoom in on that relevant sound. But, surprising as this may be to find out, the real world is not much like it is in the movies. And this actually presents another of many challenges in Rob's work. It is interesting that attorneys, uh, some of them that I work with, refer to what they call the CSI effect. CSI being the popular TV show, Crime Scene Investigation, where smart cops solve crimes every week by having a geek assistant who can zoom in on stuff. 20 seconds, this will give us a complete chemical breakdown, right down to the atom. Often, for the dramatic purposes of the show, they will indicate techniques or abilities that really aren't true. So, so they will zoom in on a teeny corner of a photograph and, and get a perfect image of a license plate number. Or uh, they'll take an audio recording that's really, really terrible and clean it up to the point where you can hear everything. The, the other movie that, uh, is slightly, at least for audio engineers, kind of a funny story is uh, the movie The Fugitive. Oh boy, when did it come out? Probably in the 90s, I guess. But there's one point in the film that uh, the uh, detectives are sitting around and they're listening to a, a, a telephone surveillance recording and Tommy Lee Jones, the, the character, uh, says to the audio guy, can you bring down everything? I just want to hear the PA announcement on the, the platform. The 
guy with the open reel tape recorder adjusts some of the, the settings, and then suddenly you hear perfectly this uh, one little segment of the recording that, that happens to be important to the investigation. But. The first time I saw that actually was at an audio engineering society convention in New York, and uh, at that point in the uh, the movie, you know, the audience is full of these audio engineers. There was this huge, uproarious laughter <laughs> that, that this person would be able to make this uh, slight tweak to the equalization, and suddenly the the sound comes out perfectly. So, I guess that was kind of a foreshadowing of the current CSI effect. And, the trouble is that juries then often assume that if it's on TV, it must be true. And so, so part, part of the, uh, uh, the, the, the trial tends to be the attorneys having to sort of inform the jury of what's really possible. And that's where the forensic experts and so on can help by uh, providing that scientific basis for the information that's provided. So let's be clear about that. Audio forensic analysis is not like it is in the movies, or if it is, then maybe only just a little bit. And in spite of huge advances in technology, there are still no easy ways to be certain about what is on a recording and what it means. There's still a lot of skill and interpretation needed. Although things you know, tend to get better as, as the, the technology improves, I think fundamentally there's going to be uh, a relatively high level of uncertainty in these types of analyses compared to, for instance, DNA um, testing, which has a very uh, well-understood statistical basis. All that being understood, what can Rob find out? Something you'd think that ought to be easy enough is figuring out a gunshot, maybe figuring out where a gun was fired, or even what type of gun it was. The sound of the gun, the bang of, of the gun, is, is an extremely short sound. It's only a few milliseconds long. It's really just a pop. Most of us are used to hearing gunshot sounds from television or motion pictures or video games, which, which has a very lengthy reverberation. So you hear a, you know, a big that has a lot of uh, emotional impact when uh, the actual sound of a, of a real firearm is really just a pop, just a, just a snap. In fact, many times when there are witnesses who hear a real set of gunshots, they will often say, oh, I, I didn't think it was a gun. It sounded like firecrackers or it sounded like a you know, pop, pop, pop. It wasn't what I expected. Now, here's the reason I gave you that crime scene. Pop, pop, pop. I've isolated these sounds from Coco's crime scene. Listen to these gunshots. The one you probably spotted first is this one. It's a Magnum 44 pistol. Well done. What about this one? Or this one? Or this one? Well, in fact, only one of those is a gun, and I'm not gonna tell you which one just yet. One of them is the sound of a balloon dog popping. Another is the sound of a car backfiring. This is the sound of a 22 caliber pistol. Not a very good recording of a 22 caliber pistol. But then you spotted that, right? Of course you did. There, there are many, many individuals who are familiar with firearms who, who, who will say, 
Oh, listening to that recording, I can tell that was a 308 rifle, or, or something about that sound, I can tell that's a uh, 38 caliber pistol. And um, I don't know that there have been any controlled tests to really evaluate whether people are able to do that. But uh, the experiments that we've done, the scientific experiments, have, have indicated the sound of the gun out in front of the firearm, so out in the direction the gun is pointing, is, is quite different than the sound off to the side or behind the gun. The difficulty in the recordings is often the sound that's recorded isn't just the bang of the gun, but it's that bang plus all the reflections off the ground and nearby buildings and, and all of those echoes mixed together uh, when they arrive at the, at the microphone. So separating out the, the information that is really about the firearm and then this information that's really about the acoustical surroundings uh, can be a bit of a challenge. In some cases, having those echoes and reverberation is very helpful because that may give this timing information that could be useful at loca locating where the gun might have been, but it also then tends to obscure any details that might be uh, real specific to a certain type of firearm. Finally, Rob has to deal with the fact that most of the recordings picked up at crime scenes are really quite terrible. A very bad quality, maybe recorded on police body cams, surveillance cameras, mobile phones, on tiny microphones pointed in the wrong direction. Not recorded on an expensive boom mic on a movie set. Nevertheless, it is still possible to make serious contributions to evidence in serious criminal cases by listening carefully enough. Well, there, there are a couple cases that I've been involved in uh, uh, here in the U.S. that the audio evidence certainly played a, a big role in the ultimate outcome. One of those cases involved a police shooting, uh, so there were uh, various officers that uh, were at the scene and, and uh, fired their guns, and, and uh, uh, there was a question about um, the timing of that incident, meaning how much time elapsed between a first barrage of these gunshots and then a pause, and then there was a, a second barrage after that. And, and the question for the court was, whether the amount of time that had elapsed was sufficient that the officers should have realized that the, uh, the suspects in this case were no longer a threat. So that was kind of the question. Were they justified in, in shooting again uh, after this pause? So the, the people on the scene would have difficulty remembering exactly how many seconds went by between the different events because, you know, it's not a thing that people are really good at is, you know, measuring or their sense of time, especially if, if there's a critical situation going on. But in the case of the audio recording of this incident, the gunshots are all audible, and it was possible to really pin down exactly how much time went by. So the trial judge in this case uh, used that timeline that was established by the audio as the way to make several decisions about uh, the outcome of the case. There was another case I was involved in, uh, which was uh, two bad guys, uh, I guess I'll call it, uh, were uh, shooting at each other, um, and one of them ended up being killed, and uh, the other individual was on trial, and the question then was, uh, 
whether his claim that he was he shot back in self-defense was true. And so the question was, did uh, the uh, individual on trial shoot first and kill the other person, uh, or was uh, he justified in shooting back in the sense of arguing that uh, it was self-defense and the other person had fired first? In this particular case, there was a uh, surveillance system at a nearby residence that had uh, several microphones surrounding the person's home. There were also surveillance cameras, but the cameras were not pointed in the direction to show the actual uh, incident, but the sound was picked up by the microphones. And so, based on the, uh, the acoustical evidence, it was possible to determine which of the guns was most likely fired first, and then again, that was one piece of evidence that uh, entered into that case. Well, it turned out, in, based on the analysis, that the individual on trial had actually fired first. Now, I'm not aiming to make light of these real-life shooting cases. The tape that Rob has to analyze is really quite dreadful. This is deadly serious stuff, of course. But for the purposes of our fake crime scene, I think it's time that we can present our findings. After hours of listening and visual analysis, we can present this to the court. This is a car backfiring. Here's a small caliber gunshot. Here's a balloon popping. Here's another gunshot, and then a bigger gun. Balloon pops again. Another shot from the smaller gun. Coco's gun. Our conclusion is that Coco the clown fired three times, and he fired first. It's up to the jury to figure out if Coco is guilty as charged. The amount of audio evidence available is continually increasing. Rob's work is not all and only about gunshots. In an age where the recorded media is literally everywhere, the kind of recordings that may need to be analyzed can take a million forms. Any kind of audio that needs an analysis could come across Rob Maher's desk. Uh, over the last uh, 10 or 15 years, there have been recordings from, from terrorists. Uh, maybe it's an Al-Qaeda representative making a threat or something like that. And uh, there's often a question of when that recording was made. So the, uh, the question then will come up, are there any telltale information in the recording, the audio, that might allow a determination like that? Um, I don't know that I'm aware of any um, you know, standard way of doing that determination. I think that's, again, a real challenge for an examiner to try to piece together any uh, possible information that could be uh, put in. Now, if you add on top of that that perhaps the, the uh, person is deliberately concealing their identity using filtering or other kinds of manipulation, that becomes yet another challenge. And again, I, I don't know that there's a single way to do that. From detecting clues in the background of telephone calls to analyzing edits and the telltale sound signatures that may be in the background of terrorist statements or exposing faked audio fake voices even, generated by artificial intelligence. 
Are you speaking about this new algorithm to copy voices? This is huge. They can make us say anything now, really anything. The future of forensic acoustic analysis is looking assured. And maybe one day, because of the work of people like Rob, it will be as easy as asking your geek assistant to zoom in and identify the identity of a sound source just by tweaking a few buttons on some yet-to-be-invented device. Rob himself is in the process of trying to see if it's possible to characterize and catalogue the signature sounds from a huge range of guns. So the hope then is that uh, in a given situation uh, involving real forensic evidence, an examiner could compare this very precisely kind of laboratory controlled recording of the information and then simulate the reflections and the effects that would have been present at, uh, at the crime scene. So we're still you know, doing research on this. This, this is by no means ready to uh, uh, immediately start using, but uh, that's the direction I think the research is going right now. And that's all we have for this edition of Sound Matters. Thank you for listening. My name is Tim Hinman. A huge thank you, of course, to Professor Rob Maher of Montana State University. Sound Matters is made possible by Bang & Olufsen, and you can find out much more about them on their website, which is bang-olufsen.com. The editor of this program is Nathaniel Buzinski. I'll be back soon with another edition of Sound Matters. Thanks for listening. Sound. Sound. Music. Acoustic. Noise. Sound. I have a favorite sound, I think. Sound. sound. Ultrasonic. How they listen. Just a little. Boop. The one place where it sounds the best. You're listening to Sound, sound Matters.